This episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast, is brought to you in partnership with Thermo Fisher Scientific and Applied Biosystems' new Qualtrack real-time PCR and digital PCR solutions for biopharma. Give your cell and gene therapy development an edge with reliable and accurate qPCR and dPCR workflows backed by a trusted supplier. Explore the complete ecosystem of CGMP-compliant qPCR and dPCR assays, master mixes, and instruments at thermofisher.com slash qPCR slash biopharma. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Erin Harris, and my guest for this episode is Dr. Michelle Melian. She is the SVP Head of Clinical Development at PepGen, a Cambridge, Massachusetts-based biotech focused on oligonucleotide therapeutics with the goal of transforming the treatment of severe neuromuscular and neurologic diseases. Michelle, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Aaron, for having me. I'm really excited to be here to talk about our programs here at PepGen and how we're moving forward quickly. Good, good. Well, that's actually my first question for you is I'd like for you to dis- to explain to Cell and Gene, the podcast listeners, one, PepGen's sort of company mission, and then talk us through your, your pipeline and what's really going on. Yeah, so um, so PepGen is a clinical stage biotechnology company, um, and basically what we are doing is we are creating a pipeline of disease-modifying therapeutics with the potential to safely and effectively target uh, the root cause of serious genetic diseases. And so we're starting, and as you said, uh, in neuromuscular uh, diseases. And basically, the premise of our technology is um, based on oligonucleotide therapies. We know that oligonucleotides uh, can be effective for treating many different uh, diseases. However, the challenges with oligonucleotides is that you it's very difficult to get them to the tissues of interest. And specifically in um, neuromuscular diseases, uh, obviously we're interested in muscle, smooth muscle, the heart. And for many of these neuromuscular diseases, we are also interested in getting um, and getting oligonucleotides or therapeutic oligonucleotides to the brain. Um, but because of the of the pharma uh, the pharmacokinetic um, profiles of these oligonucleotides, they are quickly degraded um, in the plasma, and it's and it can be very difficult to get them into those tissues of interest. So PepGen has focused on uh, at delivering an effective uh, concentration or uh, clinically relevant concentrations to the tissues of interest with the use of their cell penetrating peptides, and these are proprietary cell penetrating peptides that are essentially conjugated uh, to the therapeutic oligonucleotides. And what we have seen in our preclinical studies, as well as now in our recent uh, completion of our phase one clinical study studies, is what we have seen is that we do, uh, in fact, have broad distribution um, to these tissues of interest, including skeletal muscle, smooth muscle, the heart, and we do see some distribution uh, 
to, to the brain. And this has really supported our current pipeline in which we are focused on uh, delivering transformative therapy uh, for boys and young men living with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, as well as, uh, as, well as we have a, a close follow-on program in myotonic dystrophy uh, type one. And not only will we be focusing on uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy specifically looking at exome 51 skipping. So boys with Duchenne muscular dystrophy can have different mutations that are amenable to different types of oligonucleotide therapies. We are also uh, evaluating uh, and having discovery programs uh, for exons uh, 53, 44, and 45. Excellent. Okay. And that's actually where I wanted to go next. And I was hoping we could talk through in a little bit more detail the trial for uh, PGN EDO51, uh, mm -hmm. which you said for the treatment of DMD patients whose mutations are amenable to exon 51 skipping approach. Um, yeah. Can you talk us through that in detail? You know, where are we? What's next? Anything you can offer? Yeah, absolutely. So we are very excited um, about the results of this phase one clinical trial in healthy volunteers. And basically, this trial was designed to inform uh, PetGen about the potential safety profile of uh, PGN EDO51 because this was our first in human uh, study uh, with PGN EDO51, uh, as well as uh, tell us what doses might be clinically relevant so that. When we went into uh, patients, which we plan to go into DMD patients uh, next year, in the first half of next year, um, we could start out at those therapeutically or clinically relevant doses and kind of skip over um, those doses that may not necessarily confer any, uh, any clinical benefit. And so this study uh, is a single ascending dose study in healthy male volunteers. Uh, it's, um, uh, it is consisted of uh, cohorts of eight healthy volunteers uh, per cohort uh, that were randomized uh, three to one uh, to EDO51 or to placebo. And these healthy volunteers received a single dose of EDO51 and then underwent um, uh, muscle needle biopsies of their biceps at day 10 and uh, day 28. And what we learned from the analysis of the data in this study is that we were able to achieve uh, the highest level of exon skipping and highest level of oligonucleotide delivery to muscle after a single dose based on, uh, based on what is available uh, in the public domain. And so this uh, high level of exon skipping, what we saw um, was from the lowest dose at five mg per kg uh, was uh, up to 0.38% uh, uh, up to our 15 mg per kg dose where we achieved 2% uh, uh, exon skipping. And what has been seen in other studies is that what has been achieved in these other studies is 0.18%. So we are several fold higher uh, than what was seen uh, previously. And this is very exciting because the more exon skipping that you see, the more dystrophin production you are likely to get. The other thing that was interesting about our exon skipping data was not only did we see high levels of exon skipping at day 10, but we saw persistent levels of exon skipping at day 28. 
Uh, so when we went from, um, uh, from day 10 to day 28, we actually saw higher levels, uh, and we went from 1.1% to 1.4% at that 10 mg per kg dose. And what this means is, is that it tells us about the potential for accumulation uh, with repeat dosing. So if we are able to see that there is an accumulation at the end of one month uh, to 1.4%, uh, um, we can imagine that over several doses that that amount of exon skipping will continue to increase and uh, deliver clinically meaningful uh, levels of exon or potentially clinically meaningful levels of uh, exon skipping, which will result in increased dystrophin production. And so based on what we know from publicly available data, what we have seen from other studies is that uh, there has been um, a relative increase over that period of time, and we anticipate that same increase. In terms of the dosing, we saw the highest level of oligonucleotide delivery to muscle uh, that has been uh, seen based on publicly available data. And, um, and the fact that we are able to get these clinically relevant concentrations into the tissues of interest, specifically in this case, that being uh, into the muscle is, is very important uh, in terms of where we think we can be for efficacy as well as repeat dosing. And similarly to the exon skipping where we saw persistent exon skipping at the end of the month, we also saw uh, persistent concentrations of EDO51 in the muscle tissue, which supports uh, our thinking that we should see uh, clinically relevant levels of accumulation with repeat dosing. And that's really great for um, patients who will be on this therapy for long periods of time. Uh, and then in terms of the, the safety piece, we, we learned uh, a lot from this study. What we saw was, was that EDO51 was generally uh, well tolerated um, and that um, all uh, healthy volunteers in this study uh, completed the study, which I think is a very important point. Um, any uh, treatment emergent adverse events uh, at, uh, all resolved um, within the study time period. They were all mild and did not require any intervention on our part uh, to treat uh, the treatment emergent adverse events. And specifically at the 10 mg per kg dose, um, we see that all of those treatment emergent adverse events uh, were mild. At the highest dose, at the 15 mg per kg dose, um, we did see some changes uh, in uh, kidney biomarkers. Uh, these changes in most uh, healthy volunteers uh, resolved within 24 to 48 hours uh, post-dosing. There were one or two healthy volunteers that required a little bit more time to resolve, but those did uh, resolve as well. I think importantly, though, to note there were no clinical sequela uh, that we um, that was noted um, during the time course, and no long-term effects uh, on kidney function. Uh, and there were some uh, transient changes as well at the 10 mg per kg dose, as those also resolved um, without any intervention within 24 within 24 to 48 hours. I know for this class of drug that people have been focused on the hypomagnesemia. 
Uh, we did see uh, two individuals that had mild to moderate, moderate hypomagnesemia. Again, those also resolved uh, without intervention. So based on this data set, we believe that we have the potential uh, for a transformative therapy uh, for PG, PG, PGN EDO51 to be transformative uh, for uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, and that it is generally well tolerated um, with, uh, with um, changes in kidney biomarkers that are measurable, monitorable, and um, reversible, as well as transient. Excellent. Well, congratulations. That is quite a bit of really exciting and promising information. So we're, we're very excited about it, Aaron. We're especially for the patients. Um, and we're excited not only for uh, those that have uh, mutations that are amenable to exon 51 skipping, but also what it means across the platform. And I should also mention that the concentrations that we saw in muscle uh, were also clinically relevant in terms of what we see in our preclinical studies related to our uh, myotonic dystrophy type one program. And what we had seen in terms of the concentration is, is that we were able to achieve concentrations in the muscle that are clinically relevant for that program as well. So we believe that there's some translatability here across our platform. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay. Excellent. Um, I want to take a step back and talk broadly about oligonucleotide therapy therapies. Excuse me. Um, and so I'm I'm hoping we could do that for for a little bit here. Um, mm -hmm. First, let's talk a little bit about how the delivery differs from other therapies in genetic medicine, specifically such as say gene therapy. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, so I, I'd even like to take a, a further step back and talk about those sure. exon skipping therapies that are currently available. Um, and then we can weave in the gene therapy if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, so oligonucleotides themselves actually modify uh, 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 modify uh, gene expression. And so um, whereas gene therapy actually replaces the abnormal gene. And so with the current oligonucleotide therapies available for those exon skippers, what is being delivered is what we're calling naked oligonucleotides. So they don't necessarily have anything attached to them. You're just infusing the oligonucleotides. And as I said, you know, the inherent um, pharmacokinetics of oligonucleotides is, is, is not that great for delivery into those tissues of interest. We know that they are highly distributed to liver and kidney, but it's a bit more difficult to get them into muscle, smooth muscle, the heart. And this is a, a known challenge um, of the field. And what makes uh, the technology here at Pepgen different, different from what is um, from those other exon skippers is what we do is we take those oligonucleotides and we conjugate it to our proprietary uh, peptide. And it is this proprietary peptide that confers the ability for better delivery. And our peptide essentially consists of three domains. It has two arginine-rich domains, and arginines are positively charged, and um, that positive charge is spread out by non-natural amino acids, and they flank a, a hydrophobic core in the middle. And it's this configuration of this cell penetrating peptide that we believe confers better deliverability uh, of the oligonucleotide to those tissues of interest. And what we have seen preclinically is that we do in fact 
have uh, have increased delivery or better delivery than other um, than other oligonucleotides, and um, to uh, both striated muscle to smooth muscle. Uh, to the heart, as well as get some uh, some penetration into the central nervous system, and this is and 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 it's important for all of the uh, all of the um, diseases that we are focused on uh, currently. Uh, in terms of gene therapy, uh, the gene therapy um, again replaces uh, the defective gene and uh, in the DNA, um, whereas oligonucleotides are more acting with RNA to modulate that expression. And um, gene therapy uh, is, um, is a wonderful advancement uh, in medicine, uh, but also has its challenges too, mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that there is a significant side effect profile associated with it. Usually in order to uh, deliver a gene uh, in gene therapy, you have to uh, deliver it with, uh, within a virus, um, such as adenovirus. And, and these things um, can uh, confer significant side effects. Uh, such as um, uh, such as uh, immunogenic effects, uh, as well as uh, cardiac effects, and um, additionally, and we have unfortunately uh, witnessed um, some some complications and mortality related to uh, the gene therapies. So, um, but I, that being said, the gene therapies are a wonderful advancement, and I can foresee, uh, and others have also um, endorsed this, is that there is uh, room for both gene therapy and oligonucleotide therapies, because gene therapy is sort of a one-and-done thing. So mm -hmm. you can see that if you give gene therapy to a, a young boy with uh, DMD, uh, that um, as they grow, they actually turn over that muscle. And so those muscles that have been infected, if you will, with the gene therapy, um, uh, either turn over um, or are cleared. And so as time goes on, the, the opportunity for redosing as they grow up um, is, not, is not a possibility. So you can see how gene therapy and therapy with oligonucleotides um, can be married so that um, you can not only you know, treat with gene therapy or pre-treat with oligonucleotides, but then later on um, have treatment with oligonucleotides to continue the benefit of the therapies themselves. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense uh, when you explain it that way. So now, and you mentioned cardiac tissue, and I want to talk a little bit more about that specifically to reach when we're talking about reaching specific type of tissue. So my question is, you know, why is it difficult for cell and gene therapies to reach a specific tissue type, right? Um, especially tissues that are involved in these degenerative muscle diseases like cardiac tissue. Mm -hmm. So how are how how is Pepgen and how is your enhanced deliver, delivery, excuse me, oligonucleotides, how are they designed to overcome those challenges? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, there's been a lot of work done um, over the last uh, uh, couple of decades um, that the oligonucleotides, the naked oligonucleotides have have evolved to evade some of these uh, mechanisms that break down the oligonucleotides. So um, Oligonucleotides, like I said, when you when you infuse them, tend to go to the uh, liver and the kidney. They're rapidly cleared. 
Um, when they do get to a muscle cell, they can be broken down by endonucleases and other uh, processes. And so over time, there has been um, modifications of the oligonucleotide to make them resistant uh, to some of these uh, to some of these clearing mechanisms, which which are necessary, obviously, to protect our body from unwanted um, uh, unwanted intruders. But you know, in this case, we're talking about a therapy that is meant to confer a clinical benefit, and so um, we uh, we're um, at, there is a. Um, uh, phosphorodiamidate morpholino oligomer that's been developed that is the most stable oligonucleotide that has been shown to be the most resistant uh, to these types of uh, breakdown um, mechanisms. However, it is still highly cleared um, by, you know, kidney, um, and it still has difficulty getting into the tissue or staying in the tissue for whatever reasons. And sometimes these things are taken up into what are called endosomes and don't um, come out of the endosomes very well and then are degraded by the cell. Um, we believe uh, that by uh, conjugating the, this uh, very stable PMO uh, to our cell-penetrating peptide that we confer um, by this conjugation an additional stability to the molecule. So not only do we make it easier for the um, oligonucleotide to be taken up by the cells, um, but we also think that it is potentially that, that once it is in the cell, that it can potentially come out of the endosome more easily and go into the nucleus uh, to perform its action of exon skipping and modifying uh, that gene expression of, um, of, of dystrophin. Um, in terms of the, and, and in terms of the difficulty of getting into uh, the different tissues, it could be that different tissues just have different mechanisms uh, for degrading these oligonucleotides. I know that heart um, can be specifically challenging, and the thinking there is, is that perhaps maybe there is a specific challenge related to the heart because it's a single nucleated cell rather than striated muscle or skeletal muscle, which is a multinucleated cell. And so these are things that, um, that the community is working on to understand so that we can confer better delivery. However, um, here at PEPGEN, we are also working to further understand um, why we have been so successful uh, with the delivery of uh, PGN EDO51 to the striated muscle and how we've achieved these high concentrations. Because unlike others, we are not dependent upon a specific receptor uh, like a, like a transferrin receptor, uh, this is uh, with the um, with the peptide. Uh, we believe that uh, given the properties of the peptide, it just makes it easier for it to cross that um, that cell barrier or the cell membrane, I should say. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, a pretty straightforward question, I think I have here. Uh, you know, why are you and your team at PepGen? Why are you specifically focused on rare neuromuscular diseases? Mm -hmm. So 
We're, we're focused on developing therapies that are transformative for rare diseases that have a high unmet medical need. Mm -hmm. uh, currently, uh, the focus is on neuromuscular diseases, but we believe that this platform can be uh, can be applied to many other diseases uh, or many other rare diseases that can be amenable to this type of therapy. And so I think that at this point, um, uh, we are focused on neuromuscular diseases. We believe that PGN EDO51 will be transformative uh, for DMD and the learnings that we have from the neuromuscular program can be extrapolated potentially uh, to certainly other neuromuscular diseases. As I said, um, we have um, our fast following uh, EDODM1 program in myotonic dystrophy, uh, followed by our other discovery programs for those other exon skippers uh, in Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And we also have other programs uh, in discovery that we are evaluating to apply the technology. Okay, good, good. And I hope too that you'll come back and talk to us about those as well at some point soon too. Absolutely. Um, just a, a, one other question too. Uh, you know, what talk us through the next steps for testing PEPGEN's enhanced delivery oligonucleotide therapies in patients? Mm -hmm. So, um, so we are looking uh, to uh, start our clinical studies, our phase two clinical studies in uh, DMD boys and young men in the first half of next year. And uh, we are also looking to start our clinical studies, our phase one study in um, patients living with myotonic dystrophy as well in the first half of next year. Uh, and these studies um, will be developed uh, to provide us with the data uh, to support uh, continued uh, development of both uh, therapies uh, for these neuromuscular diseases, as well as to provide additional information to support continued development of the platform uh, and to expand the platform to other uh, disease uh, states. Okay. Okay, good. Um, in your opinion, you know, what techniques or, or methods perhaps uh, might become more important in the analysis of oligonucleotides? Right. So I think you so um, in neuromuscular disease, you're not always lucky enough to have a biomarker. <laughs> um, for Duchenne muscular dystrophy, uh, we have a pretty well accepted biomarker and looking at uh, dystrophin production. Uh, for other uh, neuromuscular diseases, we're, we're not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily as clear. Uh, DM, in DM1, we are looking at the correction of the spliceopathy, but that has yet to be uh, discussed um, with regulators. And I think that those, those discussions are being planned with others. Um, so I think it's really important and um, not only to show the, the change, a, a clinically meaningful change on your, on your biomarker, but also to have a good understanding of the functional benefit uh, for patients. And certainly there are many clinical assessments um, that are employed in the neuromuscular uh, clinical trials in order to understand uh, or triangulate or measure uh, the clinical benefit of a particular therapy. And I think that this is what regulators really care about. They really care about how a patient uh, 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 
functions, feels, and um, survives, right? And so it's really important for us to understand um, what we're evaluating with our functional measurements. So things like the PAL or the North Star ambulatory assessment um, and how that relates to um, the, a clinical meaningful change and how they feel, function, or survive. And I also think that it's important to really understand and, and go and ask patients um, PepGen really puts patients at the center of everything that we do. We have discussed our protocols um, and our platform uh, with patients, even at this early stage, to get their input to be sure that the clinical trials that we are designing are actually measuring things that are meaningful to them and that will make a difference in their lives. And so by understanding what is meaningful to them and makes a difference in their lives, it allows us to design those clinical trials to answer these critical questions as to whether a therapy uh, is effective um, for that disease state, whether it be Duchenne muscular dystrophy, myotonic dystrophy, or something else. And so having their input um, is critical. And I think that as we are designing these functional studies, um, we really need to understand what is that minimally important clinical difference. Um, what is that measurement, that threshold that we cross that really makes a difference in that patient's life uh, every day? And so that may be being able to walk, you know, X amount of meters or being able to reach um, uh, uh, above a certain level. And I think that we need to, need to understand that from patients uh, and then um, understand if we can measure it and then have a conversation about its clinical meaningfulness. And I think that that is the most important thing uh, is, is understanding the, the function and the impact on function. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, thank you so much for all of this really great information. Uh, it's a topic that we haven't covered quite as much on cell and gene. And so this is really good information for our listeners and our readers. So thank you. Um, We've kind of reached the formal end of our episode here. And so I like to ask my guests a question to get to know who they are when they're not in the lab or in their office. And so uh, my question for you is, as, as I understand it, you are, you live also in the Boston area? Yeah. Okay. So my question for you is, you know, what is on your must see to-do list for the greater Boston area. I always say in my next life, I'm going to write out of school, go to Boston. So uh, what is, <laughs> I've been there many times and it's just a wonderful city. And I'd love to hear from your perspective, what you think is like a must see, must, -see, must do type of thing. Yeah, I, I have to say the Freedom Trail is fantastic. I actually love going on that tour um, and love seeing people dressed up and, and hearing about um, old timey Boston, uh, hearing about the molasses flood, <laughs> seeing where it came up to on the buildings. Um, so I, that's, I, I really do um, enjoy that. And just walking around the city and understanding what um, the different buildings served uh, in different times is, 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 a, is a lot of fun. Um, and I also like the graveyard part too. <laughs> no, see where different famous people are buried. <laughs> it is. So, <laughs> it's, it's a lot a, of fun to do on a fall day. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a much like Philadelphia where I am. It's a very, it's a city steeped in history. So it's just a, yes, a wonderful and just a wonderful part of the country. Um, and I also saw that you are a graduate of a fellow Patriot League school. Yes, uh, it's. 
Is Colgate. It? Colgate. Thank you. Yeah, I knew I, I went to I, Colgate I, University. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, that's wonderful too. So we have something in common. Uh, well, listeners, that wraps up this episode of Selenging the Podcast featuring PepGen's Dr. Michelle Melian. Michelle, thank you so much for your time and for the actionable information you shared today. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So listeners, please visit Sell and Gene to register for our newsletter and to find more timely content to help you perform your role better. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.